You guys sounded great. It's great having a family service today as we kick off the new year. And uh, there's no kids' classes back in the back, so I get to see some of our teachers today. Some of you guys are back there in the back all the time, so it's good to see your faces, and I appreciate you singing along and just praising God this morning. And I want to say welcome to 2022. It's weird to say it, though, isn't it? It doesn't feel like New Year's. Last week didn't feel like Christmas. Um, there's just some, just kind of a weird feeling in the air, but I was thinking about it the other day as I went to sign. I had to go to the bank and actually had to go inside. I didn't know you still could do that, but uh, I went into the bank to sign some stuff, and they made you date it, and I almost put 2019. Swear to you, I don't know what has happened literally for the last two years, but it has flown by. It has been crazy, but now we are two days into 2022, and that means some people in here are two days into their New Year's resolutions. My question for you, are, are you one of the 74% of Americans that made a resolution to do something different with your life this year? I was looking and uh, I was checking out some different statistics about the different, uh, the different really resolutions that people have, that you always have your typical ones. But this year and last year, obviously, some things in society have created some different desires. And the top four, according to Fidelity Investments, is, which is funny that it's Fidelity Investments because it's about investing time, a lot of things that they've talked about. But they gave the top four. And the top two are the, really the ones that, that most people go with. It's get healthier and eat healthier. That, that was the top two. Most everybody said that along the way. But the next two, and really even the fifth one that was kind of trailing behind those four, were influenced, I believe, by what we've been going through for the past two years. The one was, is they want to spend more time with the people they care about and focus on things that really matter. That was the, the next two. And then the bonus extra one was they want to use their time and money more wisely. So you have your typical top two, like, like I'm saying, though, that beyond those typical top two, so many things have been influenced by COVID. Everything's been influenced by the pandemic. Everything's been influenced by uh, really having things taken away and realizing the things that are truly important, realizing the things that really weren't as important before all of this really got going. And, and as I began to look at this list of resolutions, one of the things I thought of was this. Everybody should want those, whether you've made a resolution or not. There's, there's nobody in this room that's like, you know what, by the end of this year, I actually want to be less healthy. I actually want to eat more Big Macs in my life this year than I did last year. That, that's not a saying that's probably going to go around much. Um, you know, and, and there's not a person that's going to say, I, I, I want to waste more time. I don't want to, to invest it wisely. And, and the thing that I thought about, though, and you probably already know this, that by the end of this month, 80% of the people who made a resolution will have failed. In one month, they'll fail. And I started thinking to myself, how can we be more successful? How can we be more successful in a way that, that we are honoring God with our time, with our resources, with our money? How can we be wise in that area? How can we even be wise with our bodies and healthy in that way? 
But I think in order for us to really consider being successful in these areas, first as individuals and second, even as Kyle prayed, as a church, we have to look at what it means to be successful from a biblical perspective because I think we all know that the definition of the success in the world is definitely different than the definition of success from the Bible. And so as we begin to look at that, I, I want to kind of dive in to see how success in the Bible is laid out. The best way, I think, to do that is begin to look at some different characters from the Bible. And the one that comes to mind first and foremost is King David. And King David, you know, I, I think he was a success. But even as we look at him, what made him successful? I would say that he was a success in a number of areas as a leader, as a, as a follower of God. He had his stumbles along the way, as we all do. But I think part of the reason why he was such a success is that he was humble in how he responded to his failures. And he was also humble in the way that he led and the way that he followed God. And even as he was about to die, he passed on some advice to his son, Solomon. And that advice is actually written down in the book of First Kings. Would you follow along with me as I read it? It says this, as he's talking to Solomon, it says, As for me, as I'm going the way of all the earth, as I'm about to die, be strong and be a man. But I want you to see what verse 3 says. It says, and keep your obligation to the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you'll have what? Success. Success in everything you do and wherever you turn. See, the thing I saw in this was the fact that David didn't say, hey, Solomon, what you need to do is you need to build up your kingdom. You need to build up your wealth. You need to build up your name to be successful. Instead, he said two things. One, follow God, and two, obey God. That is how we see success. And if you know anything about Solomon, what was the thing that he asked for when he became king from the Lord? Wisdom. Wisdom and discernment. He didn't ask for wealth and he didn't ask for power, though he did receive wealth and power because the God of our, of our lives blessed him in that way. Now, here's what we need to see as we begin to look at all of this. We see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom, and he feared the Lord. He truly followed after the Lord, and God granted it to him. So we see Solomon follow the advice of his father to follow God and obey God, for most of his reign. He kind of drifted a little bit too. But again, we all have a tendency to do that. But then he wrote to his son, which in itself is a great sermon on passing down from generation to generation. But he wrote to his son in Proverbs chapter 3, something I think that we need to hold on to. As a matter of fact, something that I want to kind of make the theme for 2022 at Paragon Church. And Proverbs chapter 3 says these words. I'm going to be reading the first 12 verses for you and if you have your bibles or digital devices you can leave it open there because we're going to kind of refer back to it throughout the morning it says this he says my son don't forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commands for they will bring you many days a full life and well-being never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you tie them around your neck write them on the tablet of your heart then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will bring healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord's discipline is the one that he loves, just as the Father disciplines the Son in whom he delights. Now, the rest of that chapter goes on and kind of expands on that. And I would challenge you, that if you have a chance to today, to read through that to read through that chapter, or even as you get started into, um, really into the, the new year and reading the Bible, a great thing to do for the first 31 days is read the 31 chapters of Proverbs. Take a chapter a day you missed yesterday, so start with one and two today, pick up three tomorrow and go from there. Um, that would be my challenge to you, but even as you read in that, the rest of chapter three is going to be very simple. Put God first. Put God first. Put your trust in God first. Don't lose your first love. This is something we're going to be talking about as we dive into Revelation in a couple of weeks. But don't lose your first love by chasing after all the things of the world to try and put your trust in that, thinking that somehow they're going to hold you up. And instead, put your trust in God first. And Jesus actually brings it up later in his own teachings. And I'm sure you know this passage already because I talk about it all the time, but in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the challenge to us to do that. And not only that, but second, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. John 14 continues to remind us, love God. And loving God means obey him and keeping his commands. Can I tell you what the first step in that process is? The first step in that process is accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Accepting eternal life, the gift that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of true biblical success. This is the beginning of it all. When the gift is received, guess what happens? Transformation begins. We become a new creature. The process isn't accomplished by us, but instead by God's Holy Spirit. And the happening and the result is this new creature, this new creation. And it happens first through trusting and obeying. And as we obey, he continues to transform us. He continues to work on us. He continues to challenge us. He continues to change us. And as we're transformed, as followers of Christ, we, we are now going to possess and display these things called the fruits of the Spirit. You probably have heard of them from the book of Galatians. You probably sang a song about them if you grew up in Sunday school. But it's love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. These are the things that we will have in our lives. If you go back to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it also tells us that we have at our disposal the wisdom and the knowledge to know what to do and where to turn because we are tapped into the vine. We are a part, we are abiding in him. And as we grow, and as we mature in Christ, we begin to think not only for ourselves, and not only of ourselves, but of others and for others. Our perspective changes. And can I tell you what a great joy that becomes? 
When the world tells us that success is all about us and you trample on whoever you have to step on to get over to get to the next step, we start to see biblical success says it's not about me. It's about sharing the love of Christ and about being that for other people. This is true success. Because all the power, all the money, all the popularity, all the prestige the world has to offer can easily get into our heads but leave our souls empty. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 16, 26. He says, For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life, or forfeits his soul, depending upon which version you memorized growing up? Or what will it be if anyone can give in exchange for that life or his soul? See, biblical success starts with trusting the Lord with all our heart. That is where biblical success starts at. Do me a favor. Look back at Proverbs chapter 3 again. Because I want to focus on the three uh, verses here that I've mentioned lots of times, especially in about the last about three months as we've wrapped up the book of Acts. And and really, the last time we did communion, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we did uh, at the end of November. And we did Acts chapter 27 and 28. And we actually used the term trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And we talked about how Paul had to trust on the journey, trying to get to Rome, that he had to trust in God, that the ways would be played out and laid out for him. Well, we're going to see that again today as we focus on Proverbs chapter 3 and our theme verse really for 2022, and that is trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'm not sure if you got the email this week. If you don't, you can sign up for an email um, through our website, through our Facebook, different things, but love for you to be able to keep in touch with that. But I sent it out this week just to let you guys know this is kind of where I'm heading. In 2022, we're going to open up with Revelation. We're probably going to go longer. The kids in the back are going to go about four or five weeks. I think we're going to go a little longer than that. We're going to break down each letter. Um, we're probably not going to get into real deep with, with all of the things of what we might be living in here shortly, but we're going, to, we're going to definitely touch on that stuff. And we're going to probably leave that right up to Easter. And from Easter, we're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount. So really, that's probably going to take up the whole year between those two things. One thing could probably take up the whole year, but we're going to divide it up between the two. In all of that, it's about trusting God. You look at Revelation, do we trust what God's Word says? Do we trust that He is in control? Do we trust that He is the one that is leading our way? We look ahead to the future. Do we trust Him with that? Easter, we're looking back to the past. We're looking back to the past. Do we trust that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him, that he came, that he lived, and he died, only to raise again and defeat death for you and to me to have a relationship with our Father? Do we trust him in that? Then you get into the Sermon on the Mount. Do we trust his teaching? When he talks about blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are... When we look at those things, do we trust that to be true, or do we lean on our own understanding? These are the things we're going to be diving into for 2022. But here's our verses again that I really want to focus on, and they're three, five through seven in Proverbs, and it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not rely or do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, know him or acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So Solomon is writing this to his son. And we see this here, and the first question I have is this one right here. What does it even mean to trust God? What does it mean for us to trust God, to trust Him in our relationships, to trust Him with my job, to trust Him with my body and my money and my time and my resources? What does it mean to trust Him when I have a big decision to make? What does it mean to trust Him when I have a little decision to make? 
I mean, really, I think if you really boiled it all down, can I trust God with all the details of my life? The answer is yes. How our lives lay that out sometimes can be completely different. So what I want to do is I want to break down what Solomon's saying here to his son and also to us in Proverbs chapter 3. The first thing he says is, is trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know what it means to trust? The word used here, it actually means to lie helpless face down. To lie helpless face down. It's a picture of a servant who's waiting for his master's command so he can respond in full obedience. That is the picture that, that Solomon is writing here. Basically what he's saying is, is submit your heart in full obedience to God. Submit your heart in full obedience to God. See, trusting God is an essential part of true and saving faith. A saving faith that looks to God to find peace in this crazy world, to, to, to find strength in this crazy world, to find contentment in all the things that are going on, and so much more. That is what trusting God looks like. It looks at what he's done, as we talked about with Easter. It talks about and looks at what he's doing in our lives right now. I'm not sure if you had that same moment of introspection or, or retrospection. When you look at your life and you're just like, Man, what did I do with 2021? Did I, did I live it to the fullest? Did I live it for God? Or did I just kind of let it go by? Because we don't get that many years. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. What did I do with it? And, and how was God used in it? And how did God use me in it? And I began to think about that as we look at trust, what he's doing, and even more so, what he's going to do both now and forever through Jesus Christ. You know what the funny thing about trusting God is? It's one of those truths that we all believe in until we have to actually do it. It's pretty easy to say, I trust God, until it comes to that place in the road where it's trust God or trust myself. And there's a balance there that we're trying to figure out, or there's a, there's a conflict there that we're trying to figure out. And I began to think about it this way. When our faith becomes action, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult than just memorizing a verse and repeating it to ourselves. Because my guess is, if you grew up in church, you memorize this passage. You probably memorize it in the King James. You're hearing some words in there going, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, King James doesn't make any sense to me, so I'm just going to let you know that right now. Um, so that, that's the reason why I'm going with the CSB on this one. But here are some things that the Bible really has to say about trust and about trusting God, and, and just some, because really this could be in itself a sermon series on how to trust God. But here's what we need to understand first, that we're actually commanded to trust God. We are commanded to trust God. Know that trusting in the Lord shows up over 180 times in the Old Testament alone. 180 times trust in the Lord. Why? Because the Christian life is one of trusting God from the very beginning to the very end. It starts by saying, as it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, that we are to repent and believe the good news. That is the start of trusting in God. Is that good news true? That I am a sinner that cannot save myself, and I need to be saved from the punishment of my sin. And the only way that happens, if I trust that God truly sent his son to die for me, that I could have eternal life and an eternal relationship with him. I have to trust in that to be true. That's how it all starts. That's how it all starts. And then from there, we continually trust and we continually believe that Jesus truly is the way, truly is the truth, and truly is the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. 
We have to believe that. That trust is actually what separates us as Christians from the rest of the world. That is what separates us, and it leads to that growth that we talked about earlier. See, one of my struggles that I have, what I, I get, um, there's a group called Barna, and they do lots of different um, statistics, and they kind of do a finger pulse on the church, and how many people in the church don't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Or at least he's not the only way and the only truth and the only life. That everybody can get to heaven by their own ways. I struggle with that. Because there's no way to say, I can trust in this and you can trust in that and they're both going to work. We have to trust in one or the other. And we have to put our trust in Jesus. And we trust God, not just because we're commanded to trust, but we trust him because he's trustworthy. I know that sounds weird, but he is worthy of our trust. And how do we see that? Well, here's just a handful of reasons that I see. Number one, we trust in him because he is perfect. He is trustworthy because he's perfect. Tell me one other thing in the world that's perfect. Tell me one other thing in the world that isn't going to let you down in some way, shape, or form. Because guess what? God will not. He's not going to let you down, but too often we turn to the things of the world, we put our trust in them instead of God. And guess what? That's a bad plan that does not lead to success. That is a bad plan that doesn't lead to success. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe me, when you do read Proverbs chapter 1, hopefully today, as you kick off this new year, you'll see in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33, it talks about wisdom, and it refers to wisdom as a woman crying out in the street, trying to tell people, listen to me. Don't put your confidence in other things. Listen to me and understand those things are going to let you down, but I will not. And this is not the only place where we receive wisdom warning about where we put our trust. It talks about us putting trust in people, especially people that don't have a heart that is for God, people whose hearts are far from God. It warns us about putting our trust in riches. It warns us about putting our trust in false gods, in beauty, in our own way, in our own mind, in our own thoughts, in our own heart, in our own selves. See, that was the original problem, wasn't it? Wasn't the fact that Adam and Eve took matters into their own hands? And I'd have to say, looking back, it wasn't successful. They didn't follow what God had called them to do. Instead of putting our trust in anything created, we are called to put our trust in a perfect creator. The one not created, but the eternal one. Not bound by time and not one who will ever cease to exist. The one who is not dependent on anyone or anything for his existence. He doesn't need anything because he is the source of all things, of all life, of all breath, and everything else. And he's not just trustworthy because he's perfect, but he's also sovereign. Sovereign, in complete control, and nothing happens that he does not ordain. Did you know that nothing catches God by surprise? I saw a thing the other day that actually said, it occurred to me that nothing ever occurs to God. And I thought, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Nothing occurs to him. He is sovereign. He is in control. Not only is he perfect, not only is he sovereign, but he's also love. See, he loves his people so much that he gave Jesus Christ for each and every one of us. That's how much he loves us. He's not just love, but he's also holy. He's separate. He's pure. He's without sin. There is no evil in him. That's what makes him trustworthy. He is wise. He knows this world. He knows the goal. He knows the best way to achieve that goal. This world and our lives in it, can I just tell you, we are a part of a bigger story. We are a part of a bigger story. 
I don't know what the deal was last night. I had uh, a Jersey Mike sandwich that is the uh, red hot um, chicken sandwich yesterday at about 3 o'clock in the morning. It was talking to me. And, uh, and so I was sitting awake going, dear God, I will not eat one of those again if you just make the pain go away. And, and as I was sitting there, I, I started having all these thoughts. I started thinking about my messages and stuff like that. And I was running through as I was, and, and I, the weirdest thought came to my mind. I just thought to myself, am I really that important? And this isn't like some weird suicidal thought, by the way. This is just, am I really that important? Am I as big of a deal as sometimes I think I am? We can put ourselves up on our own pedestal. And I began to think, I'm just, a, I'm just a pawn that's being used by God for his glory and his honor. Now, whether I'm important to him or not, that's pretty much spoken for in the fact that he sent Jesus for me. But my success on this earth is not nearly as important as God's success on this earth by using me. And his wisdom is what has to come out. That's just a sliver of why I believe he's trustworthy. And we should think the same as a psalmist in Psalm 27 when he says these words, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in him because we're commanded to trust in him. We trust in him because he is trustworthy, but we also trust in him because he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. I know there's a song you probably sang. If you listen to, to Christian radio, you sang it in here with us before, but it's Waymaker by Michael W. Smith. It says, Waymaker, miracle worker. Next two words are what? Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. He keeps his promises. Maybe you have seen this meme that's been going around. If you know anything about Rick Astley, you'll, you'll get this probably a little bit more, but throw that up there for me if you wouldn't mind, Corey. It says this, three things that Jesus will never do. He'll never leave you brokenhearted, Psalm 147, 3. He'll never reject you, John 6, 37. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. One of the responses was, so basically Jesus will never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you. You know, if you understand anything about 80s music, you'll understand that, that reference right there. But it was funny because as I began to look at that, he's a promise keeper. And as we roll into, and I use that word loosely there, roll into this year and eventually get to the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand he is a promise keeper. That Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about the Beatitudes at the beginning, and I talked about the blessed are the, and he kind of lays that out, they're not just description of kingdom citizens. They're not just descriptions of kingdom citizens who've been blessed by God. They are promises of blessings for those who are transformed by his amazing grace. Those are promises he will keep. We trust in him because he's a promise keeper. We also trust in him because of his actions. Because of his actions. Because of what he does. We trust in him. We've all heard it, but actions, they, they speak louder than words. In his actions, they speak. And as we go to the table today, do these actions not speak? We all know what this table represents. We know this bread is a body broken for us. We know the, the juice represents blood poured out on our behalf to wash us free from sin. If you don't know that, please talk to me as soon as I'm done talking. Talk to Bruce I know he'd love to. I'd say talk to Kyle, but he's going to be up here singing, so that'd be weird, so don't do that. But we have, we have Johnny, we have Dave, Bob Monclova, our elders are here. They would love to talk to you about Jesus. 
and why he did what he did and why God did that for you and for me. See, a big part of this table is about remembering. And as we remember, it helps us remember that he keeps his promises and that his actions show it. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 25, Says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance. He wants us to remember. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the, uh, sorry, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, God is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And when we remember and we give thanks, that leads us to trust God more. That's part of the reason why we're coming to the table today. It's not just remembering his past work, but I think when we remember his past work, it leads us to trust him in his future work. It's not just about what he did but also what he does on a daily basis and what he's going to do. And we are going to start looking at Revelation next week, and I'm pretty excited about that. I hope that you are as well because God is trustworthy. Read chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. It's all about the trustworthiness of God. It's all about this great cloud of witnesses who lived their lives trusting God with everything when everything else around them was telling them not to. I think of a guy named Joseph. Read the book of Genesis. You ever read Joseph and just think, man, that guy, he went through a whole lot of heartache, a whole lot of hurt, a whole lot of mistreatment, a whole lot of misunderstanding, yet he continued to follow God. He trusted what God's plan was. Sometimes when we read Genesis, we can read it in a day, we can read it in a week. We think that's how long it took. He was in prison for two years. And then followed up with that. And then followed up with that. He got sold. And just, all these things happened, not just in, the, in his, the time that it took us to read it. It was his life. Yet he continued to follow God. I think of Elijah, whose life was full of people who were really upset with him because he did what God told him to do. So much so they wanted to kill him. But he knew that God was going to use it for his glory and his plan. And the list can continue to go on. Those are just two names that popped in my head for us to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Now you're thinking, are we going through all three of these verses? You just did the first sentence of that verse. Yes, we are, but I'm going to go a whole lot faster through the rest of it. So buckle up. Here we go. Don't rely on your own understanding. Or if you memorize it this way, don't lean on your own understanding. You know what it means to lean? It means to prop yourself up against something. According to Solomon, man's wisdom or understanding, it can't support the weight of our lives. It can't support the challenges that come to our lives. It can't support the decisions that come to our lives. But God's wisdom, on the other hand, you know what? It's like a firm tree with deep down roots, and it can support us. Our understanding's like balsa wood. If you've ever worked with balsa wood before, it just snaps. Or if we want to go to a uh, New Testament teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, the wise man built his house on the rock, and the dummy... Builds his house on the sand. 
Build and hold on to and lean your life and trust in him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Next thing it says is in all your ways, know him, or in all your ways, acknowledge him. When he says acknowledge him, he's not saying, hey, when you get ready to sit down to eat dinner, make sure you say grace. Hey, when you sit down uh, on a Sunday morning and you're like, you know what, what should you do today? Well, we should give that one hour to God. That's not what he's saying by acknowledge him. What he's saying by acknowledge him is I acknowledge God's full lordship in my life and I need to give him every area of our life. Too often we compartmentalize ourselves and we say, well, God, you can have this sliver over here and the rest of it's me. No, this is acknowledge him with all my life. And what's the result if I acknowledge him with all my life? Well, he's going to make my path straight. There's a lot of paths to choose in life, isn't there? But there's only one that God is going to use for his glory and his honor in our lives. It's the only one that's going to lead us away from the trouble. As a matter of fact, as it talks about in the next verse, God invites us to choose the path that he's already given for us instead of choosing our own, trying to build our own thing up. Solomon goes on to say, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. I'm pretty sure he's just reiterating the fact that don't lean on your own understanding. You're not that smart. I, I'm constantly reminded of that in my own life. I'm not that smart. What should I do? I should fear the Lord and turn away from evil. See, Solomon concludes with a challenge to fear the Lord. It doesn't mean be scared. It means to have reverence, to have reverence for God and his wisdom and his ways. And to turn away from evil means I can't chase after the things that are going to put a wedge between me and God. Today, as we look at this table, I want you to consider making a late resolution this year. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What do you do to do that? Well, get to know him. Get to know him personally if you've never met him before. Get to know him more personally if you have. Build your relationship with him. This table, it represents the bridge that spans the canyon that was between us and God that we couldn't cross on our own. It was Jesus' death on the cross that allowed us to be able to cross that canyon, to have that relationship with God. Dive into his word. Spend more time in prayer. The second thing I'd say to do is remember what he's done. This table isn't just some juice and crackers. It's a symbol of what God's done for us. It's an amazing thing. It's part of the reason why, as a church, we don't do it like on every fourth Sunday or you know, every week, things like that, because I, I never want this to ever get routine. I want this to be something that we remember about how amazing it is that God would send his son, even though we just celebrated at Christmas, it doesn't stop. God sent his son so that we could have a relationship with him. As a matter of fact, my third thing is I put, read about how he feels about you. The word of God here, it is absolutely full of truth about how much God loves you. About what he wanted to do so that you and I could have a relationship with him. That is what this is about. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him with your relationships. He wants you to trust him with your job. He wants you to trust him with your body. He wants you to trust him with your money. He wants you to trust him with your time. He wants you to trust him with the big decisions, and he wants you to trust him with the small ones. He wants you to trust him with all the details of your life, because I'll guarantee you, he knows, and he knows better than you, and he knows better than me. And we have to trust that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for recording it over thousands of years, the words that 
David first said to Solomon, and then Solomon said unto his son, to put our trust in you first. God, we want to do that. And today as we look at this table, and today as we remember, and today as we think about all the things that you have done, may you have the glory and the honor. We pray it all in your name. Amen. You're going to see a table here. Because of COVID, we did these little cool chalices. I ordered them back in the beginning of November. They came last week, so I was really excited because I didn't know what we were going to do otherwise. But here's what they represent. They represent the body and the blood of Christ. I read to you what Paul already wrote. There's people that, that believe in closed communion. That means that you're, you have to be a member of the church in order to take it. I don't believe in that. Um, I'm not arguing with anybody who does, but I don't believe in that. I believe that communion is an open thing for followers of Jesus Christ. Because those that took the first communion with him were just his followers. There was no Baptists. There was no Catholics. There was no Methodists. There was none of those things. It was just followers of Jesus who wanted to remember. We're going to sing three songs here at the end. And in those three songs, you can come whenever you want as a follower of Christ and take the cup. I suggest... I believe I've told you before, doing the bread first. That way when you go to open the juice, it doesn't go, go all over you. But take it, take it back. Do it as a family. Do it as an individual. Do it however you want to choose to do it. You can do it the first song. You can do it the last song. You can wait till all the songs are over and come at the end. However best for you as you remember what Christ has done for you. You can stand and sing with us. You can just sit and meditate on the words that are being sung. However you choose, I would just challenge you that as you do, to remember what Christ has done and to trust him for what he's going to do.